This week's topic is reason versus intuition. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus, when addressing his critics, appealed to reason and common sense. In his training of the disciples, however, he, like all great masters, encouraged in them the development of a higher faculty, soul intuition. For it is only by intuition that spiritual perceptions are achieved. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, we find Jesus drawing on the intuition of his disciples by asking them who they thought he was in reality. They immediately understood that what he wanted from them was a subtle answer, not some obvious reply based on his nationality, sex, and the like. Peter it was, at last, who understood and answered the question on its intended level, the spiritual. Thou art the Christ, he said, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for not by human nature was this truth revealed to thee, but by my heavenly Father. And I tell thee this also, Thou art Peter, which is to say a rock, and upon this rock will I build my church, and never will the powers of darkness overwhelm it. Jesus was pleased with his disciple for relating to the question on its deepest level. Reason could not have given Peter that answer. The answer came through the faculty of soul intuition and proved him thereby to be a spiritually advanced disciple. It was his intuitive perception, that insight which cannot be shaken by tempests of reasonable doubt, that Jesus praised in referring to him as a rock. The church he referred to next was the edifice of cosmic consciousness, Any outer church institution would have to depend, as in fact the Christian churches have always done, on the level of understanding of its individual leaders and members. Peter's intuitive perceptions could never have been passed on to an outward succession of prelates. Clarity comes by direct soul perception. Confusion results from excessive dependence on reason as the guide to understanding. As the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, When your intellect, at present confused by the diversity of teaching in the scriptures, becomes steadfast in the ecstasy of deep meditation, then you will achieve final union with God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. <coughs> I would also like to welcome everyone here today on a beautiful spring day at least here in California. This is Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. 
O Father, Thou art just behind my vision, with which I see Thy beauty without. Thou art just behind my listening power, with which I hear Thy voice in all creation. Thou art just behind my touch, with which I feel Thy world. In the sweetness of flowers, and in the zest of sustaining food, lies hidden the essence of Thy being, Thine eternal sweetness. Thou art just behind the voice of my prayer. Thou art just behind the mind with which I pray. Thou art just behind my glistening feelings. Thou art just behind my thoughts. Thou art just behind my cravings for Thee. Thou art just behind my meditations. Thou art just behind the veil of nature's splendors. Thou art just behind the screen of my love. Behind all these mystic screens, reveal thyself as thou art. Om. Amen. The topic today, reason versus intuition, they're not always opposed to each other, but they often are. And in fact, I don't think we would be here today, I know we wouldn't be here today, if Ananda and Swami Kriyananda were not guided over the years by intuition. Imagine him and other Ananda people coming here in the 60s and early 70s with basically with the intention of starting up a big startup company with no money, no buildings, <laughs> no skills, and not a real clear idea of where it was going. It was, you looked at, you know, a bunch of people, hippies kind of like people and unskilled and People learn the skills, people put out the energy, but that inspiration that Swamiji had to create Ananda came from deep intuition and from deep realization. And over the years, he's trained us in that also. Myself, I wouldn't, even if Ananda were here, I wouldn't be here without the guidance of intuition. When I was growing up, I, in high school, it was in the early 1970s, I was growing up in Illinois, where there were no yogis, there were, at least as far as I knew. And I had a deep uh, inner experience of the divine. And from that deep inner experience, I had read partly two books on yoga and meditation, so I knew a little bit about yoga and meditation. But this experience changed me so much, and it was so deep, that I made a vow. I was a senior in high school. And I made this vow. It was, it was a sacred vow. It was an affirmation. It was a determination. I knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And this, the words that I put forth in that moment were, I am going to spend my life as a yogi seeking God. And where that came from, it certainly didn't come from reason. I, like I said, I didn't know where to even find a yogi. I'd read a couple books if I had taken the more reasonable approach and done a spreadsheet with the pluses and the minuses <laughs> of spending my life as a yogi seeking God, there would have been all minuses. I don't think there would have been a single plus. If I had gone to my guidance career counselor at high school, <laughs> I know what I'm going to do with my life. They probably would have sent for the doctor or somebody like that. And so it was guided by intuition, and that intuition also told me, well, I don't know where I can find a yogi, but I bet if I go to California, I can find some yogis. 
And so that's what I did. And I, and I did. I found, eventually found Ananda. And again, if I hadn't been trusting and following intuition, I, my life would be completely different. And I know that I'd be very, very unhappy because this was the life that God had intended for me. We can't always be so presumptuous about our intuition. Swami Kriyananda, over the years, he was always, he, he taught us to work from intuition, but he also taught to be tentative and not presumptuous. I think because I was young and I, there was no other way for God to get me out to California and to Ananda, he gave me that experience. So I'm not going to talk much about intuitive guidance, but it's good to be tentative. And he was never grandiose in saying, I feel that we should do this. He would be tentative and try it and see and be somewhat practical. So intuition and being practical are not always opposed. One time he told me some advice for my life that he wanted me to to take a step. And uh, because he saw what he saw in me, he concluded our interview by saying, and Divine Mother is not going to do it for you. And so we also have to put out the willpower, the energy, but yet be guided by the divine by intuition, and at times be practical. But yet, over the years, Swami Kriyananda has seen so-called experts come to Ananda to try to sort of straighten out how maybe some of our businesses do things and this and that. And he's always sort of with some delight, I think, talked about how frustrated they get in the end and just throw their books up in the air and, and walk away because they don't know how Ananda works. It really should not work the way that it does. But it does because people are guided by intuition and they learn to trust it at the same time being practical and somewhat reasonable. People here I think you could say are somewhat reasonable. I know many of the people living here for many years and yes their lives do work. They raise children and they have jobs and they drive cars and all the the things that reasonable people do. But on the inside they work in different ways and this is the power of intuition. There's a wonderful book that Swamiji wrote called Intuition for Starters that talks more about the subject of being guided by intuition. But how do we go from where we are, where I was there in Illinois, knowing nothing about yoga or spirituality, to what is described in the, the Bhagavad Gita reading today as the endless bliss of meditation? Swami describes this in one of his books. And he talks about how intuition gets us there. Yogananda often spoke about intuition and meditation as almost being essentially the same thing. He said, Master Yogananda, that we experience God and we know God through the power of intuition. And this is the best description that I can see of what intuition is. And Swami Kriyananda says this. He says, calm feeling is intuition. And intuition is that feeling which appears when both the intellect and emotions are lifted into a still inner perception of the truth. Without intuition, profound profound insights are simply not possible. And I would add that without intuition, meditation is not even possible. Because again, it's with calm feeling, calm emotion, calm intellect and reason, that's how we experience God. Now, the first step is calming the reason, calming the intellect, calming the thoughts. I'm play, I've been playing a game the last few months, 
And this is more maybe for people who have been hearing Yogananda's teachings for many years. And I've been hearing his words and reading his words for probably about 36 years now. And I've noticed that there are certain phrases and analogies that he uses very, very frequently. And I found myself, when I would be hearing those in recent years, that my mind would assume already that I knew what they meant. And I wouldn't really pay deep attention to what he was saying and look at it with a very, very fresh beginner's mind and with the mind of having had more experience on the spiritual path. And so I've been taking note when I hear him saying something several times, when a great master says something many times, we should actually take more note of those things rather than letting them just kind of blip on by and say, oh yeah, I've heard that and I know what that means. And one of these things that he must, I looked it up in his writings, he must have said it dozens of times. And he said it in this Whispers from Eternity reading where he says, God is just behind our thoughts. And when you look at this phrase, it really is a helpful phrase to just not ignore like I've been sort of doing for so many years. I was thinking of a visit I was paying to some friends. We were, I was tra- uh, doing some Ananda travel and I was staying with a family. And one morning I came out to make a cup of coffee early and the sun was just coming up. And the only one out and about was the youngest daughter. She was about five years old. And she was sitting on their couch with this big beaming smile on her face looking out the window. And the sun wasn't there because it was near the ocean and it was all covered with fog. And she just said to me with a smile, she didn't say a single other word, she just said, why is the sun hiding? And the smile that she, she had was a very knowing smile. It's, she's a very wise child. And I think because she was more awake than me in more ways than one, I, I said, mumbled something about fog and the sun burning off the fog and this and that. And she didn't respond or ask any questions. She just looked out that window again with her smile, looking for the sun. And that's what meditation, it's a good analogy for meditation, which is that simply... God, we think of God playing hide and seek or where is God? Oh, why doesn't God come to me? God is hiding. And yes, God is hiding. Why? Because of the fog of our own thoughts. And when Master said God is just behind our thoughts, he didn't say God is way behind our thoughts. (laughs) He said God is just behind our thoughts. That's really, really important to understand. And I know that many people, when they start meditation, Their difficulty is, what is it? Too many thoughts. And they get discouraged at that point. And really, at that point, well, I'll use another analogy. With all the travels that I do, whenever I come back to Nod, sometimes if you're traveling from India, you've literally been on the road for 30 hours. Argentina, 20 hours. East Coast, 10 or 15 hours. And by the time you come back to Ananda Village, there's an experience that I have just about every time. And coming up Tyler Foot Road, and many of you who have been to Ananda will recognize this, just about a half a mile or less from Ananda Village, there is the most decrepit barn that you have ever seen anywhere. And this barn is leaning different ways on different sides. The roof over the years is now disappeared, and there's a, a big tree, a big tree, growing from inside the barn through the roof. And now there's police tape around the barn and barriers. And 
you just think the next car that passes by, the gust from the car is going to knock it over. I think that's why there's barriers, because it could come down at any time. But whenever I see that barn, I just get a very warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart, <laughs> because I know I'm almost to Ananda, and I'm really, really, really close. I've traveled for 30 hours from around the world, and it's just a half mile away. And Ananda is just behind that barn. And it's the same thing when Yogananda said that God is just behind our thoughts. When people get discouraged with meditation, and this is very, very common, people start meditating and even with the techniques, the mind starts chattering and going all over the place. There's all these thoughts and some of those thoughts are as funky as that barn. From, <laughs> I think everyone laughs because I think everyone has experienced this. As you meditate more, the thoughts become nicer. But in fact, when one experiences the bliss of God, you realize that even nice, pleasant, cheerful thoughts are not quite as funky as that barn in comparison. But the bliss of God is so much more overwhelming, pure, and indescribable compared to any thoughts. And so sometimes I just want to, when people get discouraged with meditation, oh, I can't meditate because I'm just too restless. I want to shake them by the scruff of the neck because it's probably taking them, who knows, thousands, millions of lifetimes to get through all the other stuff, you know, fame, success, failure, you know, the senses, desires, attachments, all the different millions and millions of things that we all have had to get through. And they're almost there. They're, they're at the barn. They're just a half a mile away. They've you know, traveled around the world. And it's almost like coming to that barn and looking at the barn and saying, turning around and saying, oh, I'm, this is too much for me. I'm too tired or I can't go any further. And they've traveled all the way around the world in just that last little bit. That's what Yogananda meant when he said that God is just behind our thoughts. It is that close. And the techniques of meditation that have been given to us help us to get just behind our thoughts. One thing about this discouragement that people experience, really what's happening and why it's sort of a signpost that people have made it a long way when they reach that point of seeing all these thoughts and they kind of get discouraged, is that what's really happening isn't that suddenly... Because you know, sometimes people even say, well, I have even more restlessness when I sit to meditate. No, it's not more restlessness. What's happening is that, that finally they're becoming aware of all these thoughts that they have. And that awareness is actually a huge step towards the next step, which is getting beyond those thoughts. Swami Kriyananda, in his yoga postures for higher awareness and in the way he taught meditation, there's a principle that he I don't know if he's used these exact words, maybe he has in his talks, but it's a, a spiritual principle and it's a universal principle for everything in life. And it includes yoga postures, it includes meditation, dealing with emotions, everything in life. It's three words long, you can apply it to anything. And it's very simple and very true. It's awareness precedes control. Awareness precedes control. If you're a meditator, you know that working with the energy in the astral spine. First, you develop awareness of it. Kriya yogis know that you practice hongsa in the spine first. You get some awareness of it, and then Kriya yoga gives you the control of it. But it's the same with the thoughts. When you start working with meditation and trying to get beyond the thoughts, the first step and the biggest step 
is awareness of those thoughts. Then, when you have that awareness, then you can start to develop control. And so, people who get discouraged, again, if you ever hear someone saying that, grab them by the neck and march them to that barn at Ananda (laughs) half a mile away. Say, you're almost there. You're almost there. You've, You've spent thousands of lifetimes to get this point. Don't don't turn back now. Don't turn back. Keep going. And we have these incredible techniques that Yogananda brought to us, which are just perfectly designed to teach us how to be able to get behind our thoughts. The Hongsao technique of concentration, the Kriya Yoga technique, energization, all of these things. There's a, a wonderful de- definition of technology. We think of technology as you know, gadgets and things. But there's really the traditional definition of technology, which I'm going to read, is the practical application of knowledge in a particular area. And these techniques of meditation essentially are a technology to get us behind our thoughts where we can experience the endless bliss of meditation, as the Bhagavad Gita described it. You can see the energization exercises or the, the energization app and the Hong Sao technique is the calmness app, and if you want to, if you want to see it or need have the need to do it in a more modern kind of way, but these techniques are ancient, and they do work. And so, don't ever get discouraged with restlessness in meditation, because just the fact that you're seeing your thoughts and becoming aware of them and noticing them means that you're almost there. The other part of it, we're working with calming the reason and the intellect, but we're also working with calm feeling, and it's the combination and really the marriage of those two that really is what intuition is. And the, the feeling part, it, it, I find it irksome that a lot of sort of pop meditation articles that you read about completely ignore the feeling aspect. You know, they talk about the breath and the, watching the mind and being in the moment and everything and being present and all these things, which are really, really good. But the, the elephant in the room is the emotions and the feeling. And you cannot just put them aside or suppress them. You have to deal with them in some way. And the other side of this whole process of intuition, and these teachings too, which is what Yogananda taught, which is we work with this feeling by practicing devotion, aspiration, self-offering. And by doing these things, we reverse this flow of feeling, which is really emotion. Really the only difference between emotion and devotion is that emotion is this restless disturbance of the heart. It's going out into the world and into attachment. Devotion, very simply, is this exact same energy. It's the same feeling energy. It's being interiorized and offered up to the spiritual eye, up to God. And so when we have calmed the feeling in that way, focused it, in a way, calm feeling and calm reason are, are no different. In fact, if you really look at your thoughts when you're meditating, some thoughts are just kind of random things that go through. You know, you hear a noise and some thought goes through. But if you really look at your thoughts, the ones that really grab you, they really come from feeling, from the feelings of the heart. They have to do with things that we have feelings about. A person, something, a way that we got hurt by someone or you know, a worry or fear that we have or an attraction. Most of our thoughts, the ones that really have power over us, come from 
disturbed feeling. This is the, the vrittis that Patanjali talks about in the Yoga Sutras, and the, and the waves of feeling in the heart. And these teachings of yoga are just, don't ever take these teachings for granted. They're really incredible with what they can do to help us to calm these waves of feeling, to calm the mind, to recognize the thoughts, and finally, like I said, become aware of them, and finally, to get behind the thoughts. And this devotion also helps to dissipate that fog. It's almost like the sun that helps to sort of finally dissipate all those thoughts, those restlessness, and finally get behind those thoughts. The other thing that it does, devotion also attracts the grace of God, the help of a divine guru. Swami Kriyananda very often, towards the end of his life, I heard him several times. Again, one of these things that he said a lot, and let's listen to it and pay attention. He said that when a devotee or a soul lifts one hand up to God, God lowers two hands to lift him up. And that's what devotion does. So devotion combined with willpower, with these technology of yoga and these scientific techniques combined together will get you that last half mile. Don't stop at the barn. Don't stop at your restless thoughts because you are very, very, very close. Use these teachings. Apply them. For some people, it may take many years before they ever get past those thoughts to God. For others, it may be gradual. For others, it may be more quick. But know that if you persevere throughout a course of a single lifetime, just think you've done so many lifetimes doing so many things and wasting so much time doing so much stuff, even in this lifetime, multiply it by a million or a billion. Just experiment. Say, okay, this lifetime, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to get behind my thoughts and I'm really going to apply myself. I have these tools which maybe I've never had for forever before and know that these things work. So I pray that God helps all of us with these practices, opens our heart more and more, calms our thoughts because you'll find that devotion and receptivity to that grace eventually will get us past it and finally get us past that last little bit which is really we are so close just getting behind those thoughts is the endless ecstasy and bliss of God may all of our practices be blessed